Thank you for joining for this episode of the Techspective podcast. Uh, my guest uh, this episode is Mark Thomas uh, from Adobe. So, Mark, if you could uh, give a little bit of background on yourself. Hey, sure. Yep. So my name is Mark Thomas. I am currently a senior threat hunter here at Adobe. And it's between me and my, uh, myself and my coworker, Sandeep, who have kind of stood up the function here at Adobe. Um, we currently have are working on maybe like a year or so into the process, and we definitely have gone in through and shored up a lot of good things with it. Um, in the past, um, my experience was with the military for a little bit. Um, it's kind of where I first learned the ropes with, you know, what we're doing within the security space and where threat hunting, in my opinion, actually had started. Um, and then I moved into a role with a big financial institution to where I stood up a threat hunting environment at that location as well. And right now they're kind of really doing some really good stuff, uh, providing a lot of feedback to the community. And then I'm now lending my expertise here. Awesome. Um, yeah, you know, in in you know, working in cybersecurity and 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 covering covering technology in cybersecurity, um, I have, you know, heard the term you know come up. I'm I'm familiar with the term and and the idea of of threat hunting, but I'm not sure that everybody is. I feel like it's a you know somewhat newer concept um, in the realm of cybersecurity. So. For anyone who might not be familiar, why don't we start with just a brief overview of, you know, sort of what is threat hunting? Sure. Yep. And and that's a that's a thing too. Like there could be multiple interpretations or multiple um, definitions that may be kind of floating around there. But the ones that we kind of use here, and the ones that I'm familiar with uh, standing up, is basically around the definition of threat hunting. Um, is basically the proactive effort for searching for signs of malicious activity inside the IT infrastructure, both current and historical, that may have evaded security defenses. So by this, def this definition, our main goal as a team is to reduce the dwell time of major incidents within the organization. Okay. How would you... Um... How, like in your opinion, like how how is that related to or overlap with detection and response in general? Like you know, if I have you know EDR, XDR, MDR, um, you know whatever, um, you know that 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 function is is basically saying, hey, let's assume that we're breached. Um, you know, let let's look at this from the perspective of there's probably something in here, um, and let's look for the indicators of uh, compromise, indicators of behavior, whatever whatever it is that we're looking for to try and identify that there is an active threat in the environment. You got it. Yeah, that's definitely um, what we kind of live on. And the, so the role play within between those two organizations is um, detections basically give you a key indicator, like a highlight, hey, We've identified from past experiences and from the market as a whole that whenever you see this one thing, it is bad and you need to investigate it. And so triage teams will pick it up, validate that it was an actual indicator of compromise and then spin up an IR from that point on. But what I like to one of the things that I like to kind of mention along those notes is you don't know what you don't know. 
So if there's nobody going out and looking at the Intel feeds, not if nobody's going out and, you know, identifying these new emerging tactics and techniques um, and then testing those techniques um, to see if you're seeing any of it or if you've been affected by any of those or if those have been, you know, utilized in the environment and what else they have done after the fact that nobody it's within nobody's scope to kind of take that historical approach and take that proactive those proactive measures to actually look at something that you haven't been alerted to and that's where the hunt team kind of fits in okay yeah and that's and that's i think sort of my um my understanding uh you know of it sort of is that they're they're is definitely an, an an overlap of threat hunting detection and response that like uh, conceptually they're they're sort of trying to accomplish the same thing but i feel like um a that like you kind of just described detection and response in 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 some ways it depends on the depends on the solution um but in some ways is still sort of tied to the legacy antivirus concept of you know like you know we're looking for known indicators of compromise we're looking for known things um and we're detecting them uh, as opposed to i feel like threat hunting is 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 more proactive than that um is more i'm not necessarily waiting to uh, like i'm i'm not necessarily only looking for things that i i know exist like like you just talked about you you don't know what you don't know I'm actively looking at activities and behaviors to try and determine if there's suspicious things going on that I don't know about. Absolutely. Yep. And you're you're right. The techniques that we employ are very similar and it's, you know, the skill sets that we kind of look for to have new members be on the team. Um, and essentially what it boils down to is the kickoffs are the kickoff points are different. And so, like you had mentioned again, they for the uh, the triage and detection, they are from that from that point on. Like, hey, I've saw uh, this has happened in your environment. Go research it. Versus that um, historical approach of maybe taking a data set and just scouring through that data set to look for any anomalies that may be associated with an attack um, that had happened with their T within their TTPs and utilizing that. Um, unknown aspect as the kickoff point right okay so i imagine there are different tools different feeds different ways to go about this um and without giving away you know all of your proprietary information or any of your proprietary information um how do you uh, how do you know, what do you use how do you approach threat hunting at adobe sure yeah there, um, we kind of, as far as resources and feeds and stuff, I mean, we take in everything. Um, seeing how a lot of organizations may or may not have a threat intelligence team, that usually is kind of our main driver for our uh, hunting efforts. Um, and also, too, what we're kind of use, utilizing on that approach is uh, the, uh, the attack methodology or the attack framework. And basically how we utilize that is by looking at each tactic and technique, we map all of our hunts back to um, the MITRE attack matrix. And then uh, we can now look at our gaps within that. So we take in all of our detections and what they're looking at. We're taking in all of the 
uh, feeds that we've done prior and things that we've kind of shored up since then. And then our blind spots, we kind of try to map to and create hunts based off of those blind spots. Um, as far as kind of how we're developed and how I've kind of structured our team, um, we are following closely the uh, Tahiti framework. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but um, mainly it's something that was aiding to kind of uh, define threat hunting or this type of threat hunting in an organization. And it hits on all the key points that uh, I've utilized in the past and how um, a team kind of like this should be kind of run. Yeah, so mainly within the Tahiti framework, uh, we're looking at the pyramid of pain and we're kind of um, utilizing that as a guidance on the which IOCs we're going to be concentrating our efforts on. So if you're unfamiliar with the pyramid of pain, it is basically a guideline on how hard it is to employ an IOC within inside of your security organization. So starting at the very bottom and all the way up to the, the third level of that is hash values, IP addresses, and domain names. Those are extremely easy to find, and those are extremely easy to deploy within your network um, and your security stack, as long as you have the appropriate technology to back it, right? And so we're kind of mainly concentrating our efforts on the three toughest ones to employ, which are TTPs, tools, and network and host artifacts. Um, since there aren't really any guidance on, you know, strictly, you know, when this happens, um, every single time it needs to be uh, looked at and referenced, that could, those types of things could easily, uh, easily be put into a detection. But it's kind of the harder, it's kind of harder to kind of look at it and say, okay, well, within the combination of this happening and this happening and this happening, we are kind of like operating within that space in order to determine the, um, whether or not we've been compromised and kind of utilizing that um, those different types of IOCs from Intel reports and stuff like that in order to kind of culmin uh, culminate our hunting efforts uh, across. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so you mentioned, you know, that you're looking at, you know, basically all, all, all the feeds like the, uh, and I assume that in this, in this context, um, you know, the more information, the better. Uh, you know, it's like a, a, as many as many sources and, and, and different things you can you can have access to, I, I assume helps kind of refine your search. But um, are there specific tools or platforms that you use, um, uh, you, know, uh, you know, software packages, whatever, um, open source packages um, and or have you, you know, do you have like sort of custom in-house software that you use? Yeah, so um, I like to break it up into three different sections right here. So for instance, uh, for pre-op, um, you got to think about, okay, how do you go as a process to go from planning and the engagement of a particular hunt to the actual operations and performance of that hunt, and then how you're going to be able to relay the information from that hunt out to an audience, right? And so tool sets along those lines that we're kind of looking for and kind of engaging with are, um, for instance, a how we manage our queues and how we manage the prioritization and the actual um, 
workload of these particular hunts is a ticketing software. Um, so basically, we're looking at a, a platform like like Jira to kind of help with that. And so to make it easier on the engagement within the community, uh, um, within our organization as a whole, because that's one thing that I think is um, very good about threat hunting is like anybody at any level can should be able to participate. And so if there is a junior analyst on, let's say, the triage team that has an idea of like, oh, man, we should really be looking at this. Um, they should be able to kind of inject a um, particular hunt or an idea into our process so we can um, take that into use and kind of refine a little bit more towards how we're geared and then do the hunt based off of um, their feedback. And it goes the same with a senior um, individual as well that knows our process and knows exactly how we should be you know, structuring our hunts and basically it's a quick and easy way to get those into it and so we use our chat platform for that um, i've generated a or I, I developed a uh, plugin to enable us to kind of easily go from chat object down to in our queue and waiting to be um, picked up and looked at and so um so jira is an example but there are other um areas or other organizations that I've seen that also made good use of their SOAR platform in order to handle kind of that queue management. And so I've seen it done a couple of different ways now. And as far as operations go, um, our primary tool set at the moment is within our centralized logging platform. So we're depending on at a pretty um, robust level, the logging that all of our data is kind of being ingested into and making sure that that data is clean, um, telling us what it needs to tell us. And then we're operating under that assumption and going forward with testing out our hypotheses um, at that point. Um, but there's also something else that um, needs to be considered whenever you're kind of performing these hunts and um, generally how we would start a hunt is we would have a hypothesis that we're working on so an example hypothesis is basically for us an attacker is able to use dns subdomains to funnel data out of the network so dns exfiltration um, and that basically gives us a good hypothesis of okay we're concentrating on dns and we're also concentrating on subdomains within DNS to kind of look for any anomalies or anything that stands out that might tell us, hey, DNS filtration is happening or has happened in the past. And so let's have, let's assume right now that we didn't have any uh, any way of telling us that a DNS um, query had existed. And so there's various ways to there's multiple ways to kind of skin this and um, you can go at host level you can go as host level artifacts you can go to the DNS logging um, in itself um, but let's assume that we did not have any logging in our environment for this from the DNS level and let's assume that we're just down at the host level there has to be a way for us to kind of interrogate those systems in order to actually get the what DNS queries were being made in order to kind of um, prove out this hypothesis. And there are certain things you can use, like um, a PowerShell framework. So I've um, definitely had my hands in and utilized uh, the Kanza framework a lot in this uh, regard. And the contributions that have been made recently um, 
have been kind of like worked wonders for scale because at the like being have having a system in order to go and interrogate a box is relatively easy you should you should have a edr platform that could provide you with that um you could log into a single box and do some interrogation that way um but doing it at scale is the hardest part to kind of um, figure out. And that right there is kind of what we're um, working towards at the moment. Since we are a, like, um, we use a variety of different platforms and we have a variety of different OSs, we can't really rely on just like PowerShell, for instance, because um, inside of the organization, it's kind of a, um, gamble on if it's configured and installed correctly. So um, what we wanted to do is basically bolster our um, operations uh, tactics around um, the EDR platform and basically scaling that up. Um, because once you scale it up, you can query and ask everybody the same question. And now you can rack and stack and do advanced analytics on that data to bubble up the anomalies or bubble up the um, significant indicators that you might be looking for. Um, so, at, you know, so as you do this, you know, so and and, and you know, the, a lot of the things you talked about in terms right there in terms of you know scaling, obviously a larger uh, challenge for for you, uh, you know, being at Adobe or even in you know working for like a larger uh, you know uh, company in the past, it, it, it's a different a, a different. Uh, environment a different challenge than than at a smaller organization so it's, obviously scaling is is very important uh for you um and and earlier you know when we were talking about tools you you, you know you mentioned jira um and be, you know being able to ticket these things uh out so that actually is you know, those those two things kind of tie in to segue into my next question which was as you do this, sort of like, what is the output to Adobe from your team? Um, like, what what are you generating? Who are you giving it to? And what are you what do you expect them to do with that information? Sure. Um, at the end of every hunt, um, basically, what we're doing is providing a couple of different reports uh, because depending on the audience, they may want to know specific information versus just getting a high level. Um, you know, this is what we've kind of seen with this hunt, right? And so uh, we call that we're calling them an operational report and a you know a main hunt report that um, that is kind of getting disseminated. And basically, with the operational report, what we're looking at is essentially the nitty gritty of what was analyzed through that hunt and the dispositions of what that uh, of those particular anomalies like were they malicious were they not malicious and every single item that we're kind of doing this analysis against is going to have an impact back to the relation uh, back to the organization so let's say that it was a particular um, compromise um, ioc that we've found um, that goes then straight into us working with ir in order to kind of get that um, work through those mitigation steps uh, remediation and what have you, what their focus is. Um, but let's just say that the artifact that we saw 
wasn't um it was it was benign in nature so that also has an impact back to the uh, organization as well because this particular data point can then be used for other teams that may be investigating uh, particular boxes but then see this one artifact and they're like oh what is this um, should i be concerned about this well whenever they search our particular records they can find these particular um items and read our disposition on them and they can come to the conclusion well no this is actually benign in nature because we've seen it all over the environment in the past and i shouldn't be really concerned about that and so they can get to that conclusion a lot quicker um and so then we have our main report that we are basically hitting on a couple different um on a couple of different vectors and so the first thing is uh, we provide the hypothesis or high level view of what the hunt was based on and then we kind of go into the scoping on what basically how did we narrow this hunt down to be a operational type of um, engagement because we don't want to spend a, an infinity amount of time on one particular hunt we want to basically have hunts that can be open and closed within a you know a respectable amount of time just so we have these operational items that are generated from it to be worked on um in a lot quicker of a fashion and we're being we're able to track the outputs of each hunt and so on and so forth in terms of metrics um and impact that we have in the environment and so um, we like to scope it down for um to be to enhance that uh, particular item and then um we wanted to then say um any research that may have been completed that was surrounding this particular hunt. So in generation of the anomalies that would be driven out of this hunt, this is what went into that and why we've done it in a certain way. And then the analysis of those artifacts that may have that are um, coming as an output of it. So all within these combinations of things lining up perfectly, uh, at the end of the day, what you're really doing is one, you're really handling the um, dispositioning of anomalous artifacts, but two, you're also providing baseline information. So that helps drive a detection that could be then used as a future um, security enhancement uh, for the organization. And so that's one of our major um, contributions back to the um, posture, a uh, security posture of the organization is by creating things or creating detections that haven't been um, utilized in the environment and making sure that we're protected against those types of TTPs going on, um, going from here on. And all of that data goes back to kind of um, help support this detection and why it's important and how we're um, how we're filtering out items from this report from these and then they have a platform to kind of step forward into implementing those into the detection platform okay um and that you know so that that uh, that last part you know it seems to provide a little bit of a you know, you have you have a feedback loop where you know you're 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 providing information, but you're also kind of using what what the output of it to kind of refine what you do moving forward. Because um, I I guess one of my sort of uh, follow on questions to that was sort of what's the 
uh, authority is kind of the wrong word, but like, you know, you see, so you, you know, you do threat hunting, you generate the report, it goes out, but ultimately, um, like, do you, do you have responsibility or authority as the threat hunting team for making sure that things are accomplished or do you generate the report and send it out and then keep your fingers crossed that, that, that things will get accomplished? Um, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I, we would like to be, but uh, at the end of the day, it's a team effort. And so there's we're relying on the expertise and the knowledge of a detections group to be knowledgeable about how they would implement that into their current stack. So basically, we come back. We come back and say, "Well, this is how we tackled it within our log environment." But they may have other um, information on some of the other platforms that they're um, were, that we're utilizing within the environment to say that, "Oh, well, this particular detection right here, we we should be able to do the same thing, but at a different level in the stack to be even more high fidelity." And so um, what we're kind of doing is just providing in the detections case a level of suggestion that basically says that we've researched this to our fullest extent. We've found that it is generating a lot of positive uh, hits in the environment, and this should be implemented. And it's basically up to them to kind of get that into place. Um, but we will act as a kind of a... Um, I don't want to say mentor in this particular case, but it, it's kind of within that to basically say that we are SMEs for this particular thing because we've gone through and uh, from cradle to grave working with this one particular technique, seeing how it's affecting our environment and how it's presenting itself within our environment, and then looking at and baselining that um, and so all of those kind of shouldn't really be uh, discounted too much. and. <clears throat> As far as kind of the how those things basically go from being tracked and managed and things, we're keeping our eye, we're keeping our eye on the items that we're kind of um, putting into those buckets and re-engaging re with, hey, what's is there anything um, more that you need from us? Is this going forward? And then management is taking a look at that as well because as one of the significant impacts that we have to the organization. Um, those are definitely being brought up higher into the chain and reported on. So it then comes back down the other side to make sure that all of the teams are kind of doing what they need to do in order to fix or to um, bolster the security of something that we've found. Okay, that makes sense. Um, as you know, so you're, you're you're sort of on the front line, so to speak, of of kind of what's what's emerging uh in terms of the the, the threat landscape um i'm just curious and, and i like i i'm not I, i'm not framing this question from the perspective of hey can you tell me you know exactly what attacks have, have hit adobe or anything like that so it's not that it's not that proprietary um but just in general um from a threat hunting perspective are you seeing any trends any emerging techniques that other other organizations should be aware of i mean you know just just yeah i, I guess sort of you know newer novel uh tools and techniques that you see in the wild 
honestly, what has basically come in kind of resurfaced and like reemerged its uh, head and basically has always been a uh, a vector, but has um, increased impact of you know recent times of fishing and around fishing. And then so that's definitely one of the things that we're kind of focusing our efforts on. And we're looking at it in terms of, okay, so fishing is happening and they're wanting to harvest credentials. What does that look like within our logs? And then how can, or like, what protections do we have in place? And then we're kind of seeing the technologies behind what, um, what can currently go, you know, like the workflow of somebody, you know, gaining uh, credentials, and then what it looks like afterwards. In a lot of cases, a company is going to have something like Okta that's going to be backing those um, authentication uh, mechanisms. And then, okay, so within Okta, here's what it looks like here, what it looks like there. And from what we're seeing and out in the wild and in the um, and in the threat intel space, that they're actually able to uh, sidestep or um, uh, man in the middle some Okta um, authentication. So for going forward um, for an organization that uh, could be looking at making sure that they're protected um, against this is definitely making sure that you're looking at your Okta logs to figure out, um, you know, where everybody's coming from and how the authentication is taking place and Definitely, um, that's one of the biggest things because, like we've seen in other previous breaches in the uh, in the near past uh, from other organizations, that's kind of how they were hit with credential reuse and um, basically getting those credentials harvested and using them for the applications that they've uh, that they're serving and they're offering within their employ employees to use it for business purposes. Okay. Um so I have seen, you know, uh, you know, more reports of phishing. Obviously, you know, like ransomware is still a huge deal, but I've seen more more reports of phishing. It it seems to me, and I'm curious what you what you're seeing from uh, from a threat hunting perspective. But it seems to me that like you, you know, traditional phishing still a thing. I mean, you know, you get emails. I mean, actually, I just got a slew of emails over the weekend that were all the sort of. Um, I mean, I, I've got I, I've been getting a, a number of. Um, text messages which is actually what i was going for going toward was that it seems like the like 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 the threat actors were like all right there's there are spam filters there are phishing filters on the on the email servers uh let's go after mobile devices um so you know i i get a lot more like hey you know we're we're you know we just we we saw weird activity on your amazon account so we're going to shut it down unless you click this link and i'm like yeah i'm, I'm good um but I but I have been getting a, a number of emails too, um, and I and, and it's sort of that holiday season related stuff, um, uh, you know, because they're from they're they're all related to retailers in some ways. Like you know, hey, here's a Kohl's gift certificate, or hey, you know, Home Depot wants to blah blah blah, and it's, I mean, and, and they're all obviously phishing attacks. But um, uh, there's definitely been a, a a surge lately for me. Um, but the short version of my question was just do you do you see that transition from like email to other vectors for the phishing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely been a lot of uh, cases that I know of 
um, not within the organization, but like from other places that, you know, you would get those specific ones and some of them are even targeted. So basically, if you have a company provided um, phone and uh, phone number, then uh, even not, you would get, you know, targeted email um, smishing messages that basically is like, well, you've logged into this one box, you have to click this link to approve or deny, and then basically that leads you into a false um, login page to where they can harvest the, harvest the credentials that way. That definitely has been um, going on for a little bit now. And then also, too, along the holiday things, like those, the threat actors are always constantly changing the themes just to be relevant. And so even all the way back into um, from like 2012, I've seen that kind of um, poke its head up based off of drive-by attacks because back then drive-by um, drive exploit kits used to be like the big uh, one of the really big things and so one of the things that I've investigated and found was along the lines of um, it was Halloween time and they were basically um, offering you know costumes and stuff after well it was they took over the site um, that was hosting legitimate costumes uh, for sale and stuff like that. And so it was around Halloween time. And so they basically placed their um, drive-by on a page that was going to be frequented by people coming in looking for their Halloween costumes. And so the malware they were delivering was pretty, uh, pretty like, not boilerplate. There was a lot of specifics into that, but they were, um, it's pretty interesting to see that kind of flow within um, making the making whatever is relevant to that individual at a particular amount of time to kind of weaponize it against them and to deliver their final payloads or their final actions um, as a as a kind of a flow with that. Right. So it's been it's been kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I and I and there definitely seems to be different levels of. Uh, I mean, there there are always different levels of sophistication depending on. Uh, you know, both the threat actor and the intended target where, I mean, there's, there, there are your standard kind of spray and pray. I'm just going to send out a billion of these and, and, and see who clicks, um, as opposed to more targeted, uh, attempts. And, and, and within that, there's also the spectrum of, uh, how accurate, uh, the, the, message or the spoof is um you know where like like i said like a lot of these ones that i get for you know that say they're from kohl's or from amazon or whatever it's like it it's so glaringly obvious that it's not that i i, I really question i'm like who clicked on that like who who who's the victim of this um, you know, it's, it's so question. it's so bad like er, like every word is misspelled the the domain is obviously not amazon.com um like er, everything about it is wrong um, and, but, but I have, have looked into in the past and, and written about in the past that, uh, while the, at face value, it's like, oh, this is obviously just from someone who, you know, English is not their first language. And, and they, so they messed this all up and they just don't know what they're doing. Um, but a lot of that is intentional. Um, it, it's, it's designed to weed out, um, people who would know better. Like basically if I send you something that's filled with typos and is obviously a phishing, phishing message and you still click on it, then the likelihood that I'm going to get you is significantly higher. Uh, yes, that is, uh, that is a fair point. I definitely, um, 
like with those after actions like that, I definitely haven't uh, spent too much time kind of thinking about or um, working through those. But that is that is a solid um, that's a solid viewpoint. And kind of going back to the snitching as well, it's for an organization. It's extremely hard to kind of be able to detect that as well. So let's say that we're let's um, play and go on like how would I stand up a hunt around that? Uh, to kind of like bring that back into our hunting methodologies. Well, one thing that I would want to look for is now um, all of the transcripts of, you know, links that could be contained inside of email messages that would be submit uh, that would be sent across the fleet. And that right there, it opens up a lot of doors or a lot of gates that are you're going to potentially bash uh, be bashed into. Number one reason why is <clears throat> because of privacy. And a lot of times we are thinking about, okay, this is the problem. We got to fix it. What can we do? And it always has stopped at the point of, well, the devices that we're providing people, we are stating that they could be of limited personal use as well. And therefore, we shouldn't be able to see all of the texts that um, are being sent to them and vice versa. It's just that whole privacy factor that kind of gets us. and. Um, there should be a better way, but unfortunately, with smishing, it's a lot harder to uh, a lot harder of a problem to solve. Yeah, I can I can see that. Um, yeah, and 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 like you pointed out, it's like there's a the privacy aspect, and there's the kind of the decentralization of um, you know. It's one thing if I just, you know, like if you go back a number of years and, and I say, OK, from a from a bring your own device perspective, I'm going to let you use your own phone. Um, but we're going to set up the corporate email on, you know, account on your phone. Well, in that instance, at least the phishing attack still has to go through the corporate email server. There's still a, there's still a choke point where the company has an opportunity to do something. But. With a with a, a smishing attack and, and you know where I'm just sending an SMS text message there you don't have that same choke point I can just text your phone absolutely and everything's handled with the cell phone carrier nothing really goes through your um, your protections yeah so um yeah I mean I, I mean I, and I imagine there are things out there or or you know where you could try to you know there are probably things that where you could try to somehow put something in line you know to say okay well you know we're gonna make sure we're gonna make text messages somehow funnel through here but i, I honestly i don't know like yeah uh, you, you I, maybe you can't because like like you said unless it unless they were all you know corporate issued phones and 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 you know you had some more control because as long as it's byod it's like you know i'm i'm getting my messages from verizon or from at&t or from t-mobile or whatever and uh yeah there's not a lot there's not a lot that you as adobe can do about that so um all right well i want to uh thank you for uh for taking the time and uh and and thank you for all of your uh, efforts uh, in, in in threat hunting. Um, uh, real quick, I was going to ask. Actually, before we sign off, I was going to ask. Um, you, you said you were in the military. What branch? Uh, the Air Force. Ah, I was also in the Air Force. 
Oh, thank you for your service. Thank you for yours. So we've now patted each other on the back. We're all good to go. Um, I, I did not do I did not do cybersecurity in the Air Force, but I was in the Air Force. Um, but uh, yeah, so thank you. And uh, and, and, you know, it'll be post Thanksgiving by the time I get this uh, edited and published. But Thanksgiving's a few days away. So have a good Thanksgiving. Uh, you as well. And I definitely hope this was uh, engaging content for you. I definitely enjoyed doing it. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. Let me know if you love it. Let me know if it sucks. And uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts.